Father, your name is holy. It is righteous. It is good. You are always good. And we welcome you to speak to us now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Weston Nichols. I am uh, one of the adult pastors here. And um, I know what you're all thinking, and that is, wow, that guy's bald. Um, Here's the deal. We have so many guys on staff with great heads of hair. Just think about it. Jimmy and Jeff and Carl and Mick, and I'm just here to represent the baldies in the room. Um, So, you know. Power to the baldies. Um, anyway, hey, if you were here, speaking of good heads of hair, if you were here on uh, June the 4th, you got to hear Mick Murray introduce our summer series entitled Our Inheritance. We're looking uh, into the book of Ephesians, chapter 1 through 3, at what we have inherited as followers of Jesus. So as we pulled this summer series together, uh, we kind of broke up those three chapters into section of Scripture, um, gave each section to a different pastor to communicate through the summer. And from those respective sections of Scripture, uh, we encourage each pastor, pastor to talk about one biblical truth, one doctrine or theological uh, truth, kind of like they're bricks in a wall, and we're putting those bricks together and building a strong, powerful beautiful house of faith. So my uh, passage of scripture is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 through 14, four short verses that are packed with some really, really great truths that we're going to get to hear about today. So if you will stand with me for the reading of God's word, you don't have to read out loud. Uh, I'm just going to read, but stand with me in honor of God's word. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. To the praise of his glory, amen. Have a seat. Well, in 1991, I moved from Waco to a large city to attend began studying uh, for my master's degree. It was uh, at what was, at the time, the largest uh, and a prestigious seminary. It was the largest seminary in the world. Um, I stepped onto campus with over 3,000 aspiring pastors. Um, I did not feel smart enough or knowledgeable enough to be there. Anybody ever know that feeling before? Um, And trying to kind of fake it, like, you know, I belong on this place, but really feeling inside like everybody here is smarter than me. Um, and so 
Uh, about the second week, I was uh, sitting in a class uh, with about 50 other pastors, um, aspiring pastors, some of them already pastors, all of them pretty much upperclassmen because of what the class was. Uh, and I'm just trying to act like I belong, right? Um, and so I'm sitting back with that feeling like I hope nobody notices me because it might expose um, just how uh, ignorant I am. Um, and so just kind of sitting there. Anybody know that feeling like you've been in class before and you're just looking down hoping that nobody calls on you? Well, that's what I was doing, second week of class. And the professor singles me out and says, Weston, will you read this section of Scripture from the book of Jude? I responded as confidently as I could. Sure, which chapter? <laughs> now, some of you are laughing right now because you know the book of Jude does not have chapters. It doesn't even take up a full page. It's just about 22 verses. Now, it doesn't sound like a big deal right now, but in the moment, I felt like a complete idiot. That is not how we want you to feel while we're talking about doctrine and theology this summer. As a matter of fact, it's not how God wants you to feel either. Um, so, um, I suspect that um, when I mention the word doctrine or theology, that probably there's three groups of people in the room. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call the first group the yay group. Those are the people that inside, when I said doctrine and theology, they, they went, yay! They're so excited. And there's about three of those people in the room. Um, the second group of people is the, uh, I'm going to call them the oh no group. And that's uh, those of you that when I said doctrine and theology, under your breath, you went, oh no, this is going to be horrible. And you start looking around like, can I sneak out and maybe nobody will notice? The third group is the people that came in today and you're just like, I don't really care. I just need to hear something from God that's going to help me make it through the next week. Well, let me tell you, um, I really truly believe that for each group of those people, there's going to be some really good stuff in the message today. So although I'm going to use a few words that you might go, what is he talking about? Hang with me because I think there's some really good stuff here for you. As a matter of fact, um, do you know uh, what all is in a recipe for brownies? Um, any moms in the room make great brownies? Um, what are the best things in a recipe for brownies, right? Chocolate and sugar. So if you just throw out all the other stuff and say, we're going to make brownies with just chocolate and sugar, do you really get a good brownie? No. Um, that's what happens when we look at Ephesians, right? We're not going to just like skip over the stuff that we're not interested in. It's actually these things that we're going to talk about today, God put them in there for a reason. Because he wants you to know this about himself and he wants you to know how to relate to him. The recipe of all that's in Scripture builds a really well-developed, fully formed follower of Jesus. So we're not going to skip over some parts of Scripture that are harder to understand. We're actually going to dig into them. Because we know what God is building us into. This is his recipe, right? Okay. 
so that you, um, I tell you what, let's do this before we move on. Um, I'm just going to ask you to, to uh, pray a simple prayer with me. Um, so right now, just you and God, everybody close your eyes. I want you to just pray a couple of simple things. One, the first one is this. God, will you speak to me today? I really want to hear you. Will you speak to my heart today? And the second thing I want you to pray, I want you to do it out loud. I want you to say, come Holy Spirit, come. Let's do that again. Come Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this room. We welcome you to fill every corner of this room. Fill it fully with your presence and all that you are. Speak powerfully to us today. Transform us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So that you know that we are making progress. We're taking a journey today through these four verses. So that you know we're making progress on our journey, I'm going to give you three signposts, right? Uh, the first, uh, three, here's three signposts, right? So this is going to divide our, our message into thirds so that we get to the first, uh, the second signpost, you can go, we're a third of the way done. We're going to make it, right? So uh, three signposts. The first signpost is election. Can you say that out loud with me? Election. Great. The second signpost will be the next stop on our journey, and that signpost is security. Can you say security? security. Awesome. And the third signpost, our final stop, is love. Oh, you got to say it like that, love, right? Okay, so let's take this little journey through Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14, and we will start with the first signpost election. There's a debate in Christianity that's been going on for centuries. It's often referred to as election versus free will or predestination versus free will. I'm gonna kind of simplify that today. It really comes out of verse 11. We read that earlier. Actually uses the word predestination. There are two sides on this debate. On one side is unconditional election. On the other side is Conditional election. Um, the people who fall on the side of unconditional election or predestination believe this. God chooses who will be saved and who will not. Those he chooses to be saved will go to heaven, spend eternity with him. Everyone else will spend eternity apart from him. The people that fall on the conditional election side or free will would say, because God has given us free will, we each have the ability to choose to follow him or not. Those who choose to follow him will be forgiven and go to heaven. Those who do not will spend eternity separated from him. Now, aren't you blessed? I know, I can see it all over your faces. Hang on, we're getting to some good stuff. This is just stop number one. Okay, so that first part, unconditional election, Really, part of it comes from verse 11, and we'll see that on the screen again, but having been predestined according to the plan of him. That's kind of where that idea partly comes from. But on the other side is also there in this same passage, and it's verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now catch this next phrase. When you believed, you were marked in him. 
right? So you see the, the kind of the conflict there of that debate. By the way, if you've been around church for a while, uh, you might have heard this referred to as Calvinism versus Arminianism. That's a fun word to say. Everybody say it with me, Arminianism. Arminianism, uh, easy to mess up. It doesn't really matter. I just wanted you to know that I knew those two names. Um, but um, those are two great theologians in church history that kind of framed this debate for us. Um, and we really could make this really complicated by bringing in a lot of other scripture and talking about a lot of theological perspectives. Um, but I kind of want to just boil it down to the simple stuff today. Um, and one, I want to, some of you are probably wondering this actually, but I want to ask the question, why does this conversation matter? Like, why are we talking about this? Does it really matter? Well, there's a couple of things I want to tell you, just to give you a couple of implications to emphasize why we need to, as a church, as followers of Jesus, as students of the Bible and the life of Jesus, we need to think about and talk about these things. Um, so, here's just a, a couple of significant implications for this debate. Let's say that you fall on the unconditional election side, predestination. Someone might say to you, <clears throat> so are you telling me that God created all these people and some he destined to go to heaven, but the other ones, he created them and then destined them for hell for, and they get no choice in the matter at all? That doesn't really seem like the loving father heart of God. But then you get on the other side of this debate and you say, well, I believe in, in just free will. And somebody might say, well, where does the sovereignty of God fall into this? Because doesn't God know all things and isn't he all powerful and doesn't he have influence on our decisions? And, and we go, wow, I don't know which way. There's complications and there's implications to our faith. On both of those. So we ask the question, <clears throat> which one is correct? Can we reconcile the two? Is one correct and one not? Well, I'm going to leave you in the tension of that question. And we're going to go to the next stop on our journey. The next signpost is security. Everybody ready to go to the next stop? Security. Okay. We're going to come back to it. Don't worry. All right, so another major debate in Christianity has been going on for some centuries, and it comes partly from verses 13 and 14. So let's look at those again. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. <clears throat> this debate basically boils down to, can a person lose their salvation? Just like the prior debate, there are two opposing opinions. Uh, one is, we call it unconditional security of the believer. The other one is conditional security of the believer. And you're all on the edge of your seat. I can see it. All right, so unconditional means this. Once a person is saved and redeemed, that miracle of salvation cannot be undone by anyone for any reason. On the other side, conditional security uh, says it is possible for a truly saved person to lose their salvation if they do not persevere to the end. 
Okay? So passages of Scripture, just a couple examples of where these come from. The first one, unconditional, comes from 13 and 14. We already read that. The, un- or the uh, conditional security comes from Hebrews, partly, Hebrews 6, verse 4 through 6. And we are going to read it because I do want to, uh, I want you to see this. So it'll be on the screen. Hebrews 6 says, it is impossible impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who've tasted the heavenly gift, who've shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. Do you feel the tension of those two positions? Similar to the, to the prior discussion, somebody might say, well, why does it matter, Weston? Why are we talking about this this morning? Uh, there are, again, significant implications for your faith as a believer to work through this question. Um, for instance, uh, if you fall on the unconditional security and you say, no one can lose their salvation no matter what. Somebody might say to you, Weston, are you telling me that somebody can truly be saved and then later decide none of this is true, I don't believe any of it? There is no Jesus, and they live their life horribly, yet at the end of their life, they're going to die and go to heaven. That doesn't really make sense to me. And you go, well, perhaps somebody can walk away. Somebody can lose their salvation. And you get on the other side of the debate, and you go, well, but doesn't that mean then that our salvation is dependent upon our performance? And that's not really consistent with Scripture and talks about grace, not works, that our salvation comes from grace. So what do we do with these tensions? Which side is correct? Um, Now that I have hopefully achieved what creative writing teachers call tension, I'm going to let you sit in it for a minute. We're going to go to the next signpost. But here's the good news. We're already two-thirds of the way through, <laughs> right? So, you know, hey, there's that, right? Okay, so the next signpost is, what is it? Love. Love, all right? Have you ever stepped in the middle of a conversation and misunderstood what was being discussed? Everybody done that? It's a great feeling. It happened to me right out here in the lobby not long ago, um, a few months ago, and Um, I was standing there talking to a guy, and my wife, Shanna, uh, was a few feet away talking to another lady, and let's call her Susie. All right, so I'm having my conversation, but I hear hear parts of their conversation. What's that called? Uh, Eavesdropping? Yeah. Um, So anyway, I hear a little bit every now and then, and I heard uh, heard Susie say um, that um, I heard she was dating a nice guy. And then I heard Shanna respond, yes, we think he's a great guy. Can you imagine the assumption that I made if you know my daughters, right? I'm actually thinking, oh, they're talking about one of my daughters who just had started dating a guy recently. And, um, and I continued my conversation with this guy I was talking to, and I heard a few other similar comments here and there, just little pieces and that are kind of building my assumption that they're talking about my daughter. So I wrap up the conversation with a guy I'm talking to, and I turn around, and I join their conversation just in time to hear Susie say, yeah, I heard she's pregnant. 
uh, what? Now, I didn't say anything on the outside, but my heart is pounding and my brain is racing. And I'm like, I, uh, there's something I don't know here. And now I probably only, it, it felt like 10 minutes later. It was probably only about 10 seconds before Susie actually called the name of the young lady she's talking about. And it was not one of my daughters. <laughs> I peeled myself up off the floor, calmed my heart down, and uh, realized in that moment that I had completely misunderstood the context, the intent, the facts of the conversation. And my misunderstanding led me to make some potentially dangerous and faulty conclusions. We can do the same thing with these passages in Ephesians if we don't understand the context and the intent of this communication, we can make some faulty conclusions from it. So on our third stop here, the stop of love, we're gonna look at this passage of scripture from three different perspectives or vantage points. The first one, we're gonna look at Paul's perspective. He's the one that wrote it. And then we're gonna look at it from our perspective and then most importantly, we're gonna look at it from God's perspective. Are you ready to go? We having fun yet? I can tell. All right, so uh, looking at it from Paul's perspective. Um, by the way, anytime we wanna understand the Bible, um, it's important to look at it from the context of the author. Um, a few months ago, I preached and I, I talked about context. I don't know if anybody remembers this. Probably you don't remember much of what I say, but that's okay. Um, just kidding. I know you do. Um, but I told you, uh, uh, let's imagine that there's a group of Chinese people um, in Beijing, and they're learning English. And they've got their vocabulary, and they've got their words. Um, and someone gives them a sentence and asks them to explain the sentence. And this is the sentence. The bears devoured the longhorns in the cotton bowl. Now, what are these Chinese students going to do with that sentence? They're thinking bears, longhorns, like, I don't know, is that a cow? A bear ate a cow in a bowl of cotton. <laughs> do they understand the context at all of that sentence? No, but you do because you're here and you understand that Baylor bears are awesome and long, well, uh, we won't go there now. Um, so context is important, right? So let's get Paul's context, right? We tend to look at this passage from our vantage point, which is we're post-enlightenment, um, educated American. We're accustomed to the scientific method of logic and reason. And so we look at things and go, well, how can this and this be, how can we reconcile what makes sense? That's the way we look at it. Not Paul. Paul was a Jew. Do you know where the Jews came from? That's right. Father Abraham had many sons. If you don't know that song, you miss some great stuff in Southern Baptist Sunday School, I'm just saying. <laughs> um, but Father Abraham, he was Abram originally, was the first Jew. Now, he's actually just a normal Middle Eastern guy until God said to him, I want to adopt you and make you my own. 
I want to call you out and make you a people, a nation. I'm going to make you a great nation that will be a blessing to all the nations in the earth. That's Paul's context. Who's he writing to? The Ephesians, who are not Jews. They are Gentiles. So what's he talking about? When he says you are chosen, you are predestined in Christ, what he is saying to them is not, uh, you need to figure out this information, this information. He's saying, look, just like God called out Abraham and said, I want to adopt you and make you my own. He's saying that to you Gentiles now. I see you, I want you. Since before the beginning of time, predestined, right? What Paul's saying is, since before the very beginning of time, he knew you would be sitting here. And he was looking at you through all of time, saying, I want you, I love you. I want to adopt you into my people. That's Paul's context of this passage. Now, why does that matter that we look at that? Somebody here or maybe somebody on the stream, you got up this morning and you're wondering, does anybody see me? Does anybody really love me? Does anybody hear me? Do they care what I'm feeling inside? I want you to hear this message from God through the book of Ephesians. God says to you, I see you. I hear you. And since the beginning of time, I have been so eager to get to this point right now because I wanted to tell you that I want to adopt you and make you my own. That's the message of Ephesians. So let's look at the next next, question. the next uh, position, context that we're looking at, and that's ours, right? We looked at Paul's. Now, how do we look at Ephesians and come at it? I'm a really intelligent friend, just one. Um, <laughs> no, I actually have a lot of intelligent friends. But I have this one friend um, who lives in another state, and he is literally genius level. I, I can hardly have a conversation with him. I love him. He's a great, a great heart. Uh, but he is so brilliant, um, and he's read so many books, there's actually nothing that he just can't understand, which is great, and it's a gift, um, but it causes him one problem, particularly with our faith. He cannot accept things about our faith that he can't fully understand and explain. Now, the problem with that is this. Our brains are finite. They have limits. God is infinite. He has no limits. Here's an example. Um, How about eternity? Okay, so um, I'm learning about God, and somebody says, God is eternal. He's always been, and he will always be. And my brain goes, yeah, but where did he come from? Uh, any other weird people in the room like me think that kind of, like, yeah, but my brain just automatically goes, yeah, but where did he come from? Because my brain can't comprehend 
eternal because my brain is finite. So when we get into this thing, a thing like a debate on predestination versus free will, our brains go, yeah, but I can't calculate this. I need to be able to explain it and understand it. And our finite mind tries to put something together that only an infinite God can really do. Why does that matter to you today? I suspect that a lot of us here have something going on in life right now um, that looks impossible. We have a tendency, because we are finite, we have a tendency to um, put the same limits on God that we have. Here's what I mean. That thing in your life that looks impossible, that person maybe, that you're like, I don't know, I don't think they're ever gonna come around. Whatever that thing is in your life that you just go, I don't see how it can happen. God doesn't see it that way. You have limits, he has none. As a matter of fact, to quote the angel from Luke chapter one that showed up to tell Mary, a virgin, that she was pregnant with the son of God, Speaking of no limits, that angel said to Mary, with God, nothing is impossible. So when we look at these things, whether they be in scripture or the things in our life, do not put the limits on God that exist on you. God has absolutely no problem choosing you before the beginning of time and you choosing him. He can reconcile those things. Though it may not make sense to us, he's infinite, he has no limits. That thing in your life that you're like, God, I don't know how this is ever gonna happen. He's looking at like, hey, I'm God. I have no limits. Let me show you. The third perspective Um, Are we having fun now? The third perspective that we want to take is actually the most important perspective of this passage, and that's God's. This, um, This book is called Systematic Theology, An Introduction to Biblical Doctrine by Wayne Grudem. We call it the Big Blue Monster. Now, it's um, 1,300 pages, and I've read all of them. It's one of my systematic theology volumes. I have multiple. I know that you look at me and think, no way, he's not smart enough. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not, but I've tried. But what I want you to understand is God's intent with this message in Ephesians was not to write a systematic theology textbook. His ultimate purpose, now this is good stuff, by the way. I believe that as as, uh, followers of Jesus, we should grow our minds as well as our hearts, come to deeper understandings of our faith. 
I am not belittling this at all. It is very valuable. But it's not God's ultimate purpose in writing this passage in Ephesians. His ultimate purpose was not informational. It is relational. When God says, uh, when, he, when he inspires Paul to write these words, in him we were chosen, predestined, included in Christ. When you believed, you were marked and sealed with the Holy Spirit. He is not trying to make you a systematic theology informational expert. He's writing a relational love letter to you. He is saying, look, before the beginning of time, I had my eye on you. And I wanted you. And I chose you. And I've been orchestrating events all this time to get you right here, right now, so that you could hear how very much I love you. Is doctrine important? Is theology important? Absolutely. But not to the exclusion of the relational love that is wrapped up in this message. We can debate all day long and totally miss the heart of God. Shannon and I um, love to talk about marriage. We teach a course here. Uh, we teach conferences elsewhere, and we'll talk about marriage to anybody, anytime, um, for a lot of reasons, but um, mostly because we believe marriage done God's way is a unique and beautiful picture of God's covenant love, unlike anything else. It tells a bigger story of God's unending, unconditional, perfect covenant love for his people. That's the message here in Ephesians. You were chosen. You were prized. You are cherished treasure. He wants you and he loves you without hesitation or reservation. I want you to, I want you to hear this. Every person here, every person on this stream, when you were asleep last night, God wasn't. He, all night long, was on the edge of his seat thinking, I can't wait until they get here this morning. I'm so eager to connect with them. I love them so very much. That's the heart of God for you. He wasn't eager for you to get here just so he could make you a theology expert. He wanted you to know I love you. You are chosen before the beginning of the time I wanted you. I was in a conversation recently with someone um, struggling with our faith who said, um, I don't understand why God can't just make this stuff easy. Like, can he just explain it all to us and, and like he could just prove it all and it will be so easy? I said, I understand why you feel that way. Anybody ever else ever feel that way? Uh, okay, for the three of you that do, <laughs> let me tell you a story. 
this is how I responded to this person. I said, I get it, I understand. Let's just imagine, um, and I'm gonna pick on Carl. Let's just imagine that Carl came to me and he said, you know, I kind of feel a little bit lonely. He wouldn't because Blair's so awesome, his wife. But he said, I feel a little bit lonely and I've been thinking about getting a dog, but Blair won't let me get one. And, and, I, and I, I said back to him, well, no worries, Carl. I am such a genius. I'm gonna build you a robot dog that will look just like a real dog. It'll act like a real dog. When you get home from work, it's gonna jump up in your lap and lick on your face um, and it's gonna be perfect. And Carl's like, wow, that sounds great. So I build him this robot dog and I give it to him for free because I'm such a nice guy. He gets home from work and the dog jumps in his lap and licks his face. Does he feel loved? No, why not? Over time, he realizes this dog's just doing what it has to do. Love requires a choice. And so he comes back to me and he says, Weston, I I appreciate, but I don't really need the robot dog. I'm actually gonna get a real dog. And so against Blair's better judgment, um, Carl goes and gets a real dog. A real dog that has a choice when Carl's at work of tearing up everything in the house and pooping on everything. (laughs) Carl gets home from work and instead of the dog having done that stuff, the dog's been good all day and he jumps in Carl's lap and he licks Carl's face and he wags his tail and he's so happy to see Carl. Does Carl feel loved? Why? Because the dog had a choice to be unloving, but chose instead to love him. That's what all of this is about. God's saying, look, I could make you, but then it wouldn't be a love relationship. I choose you, and I'm waiting for you to choose me. Not just one time in salvation, but every single morning when you get up, I am eager for you to choose me. That's the intent, the perspective, the heart of God in this passage. When Shannon and I talk about marriage, uh, we often, if you've had our marriage course, you you know this, you've heard this before, but we talk about, um, uh, actually, Ephesians chapter 5, Paul begins in verse 22 talking about marriage and to all these things like husband, love your wives, wives, submit to your husbands, all that stuff. And then he gets down to verse 32 and he says, it's a profound mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. And you're like, wait a minute, Paul, weren't we just talking about marriage? In our marriage course, we talk about how marriage is about so much more than just your own happiness. It's actually a metaphor, a beautiful covenant of God's love. It's a beautiful picture of God's covenant love. And uh, we take that image and we then take people back to Genesis where God first makes a covenant with Abram and says, I choose you, I want you, I adopt you, you're gonna be mine. And we go a little bit step ahead to Genesis 17 where God affirms that covenant and he calls it specifically everlasting. He says, my covenant will never end. Um, 
When God writes this love letter to you in Ephesians, and he says you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, a deposit guaranteeing inheritance, what he is saying to you is I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. My love for you will not change. Okay, I, I think it's time to resolve the tension. Everybody, have I left you in the tension long enough? Like, let's resolve it, okay? I'm gonna tell you my perspective um, on this issue of predestination and free will. My perspective from a few years of study and a few books and a lot of time alone with God. Yes, both. And God is capable of that. I don't have to fully understand it. But I know God chose me. And I know he wants me to choose him. On the next issue of salvation, that one, where I land, salvation is not just a choice that I make to follow Jesus. It is an unbelievable, incredible miracle. When I am redeemed, when you were redeemed, that's not just a choice you make. It is a spiritual, heavenly, incredible, absolute miracle. Do you know what it means to be redeemed? To redeem something? Think about this. You, you got a gift card for your last birthday because somebody didn't care enough to actually go buy a present for you. I'm just, just kidding, just kidding. I, I've done it too, I understand. It, it's, it's easy sometimes, you know. Anyway, sorry, that got us distracted. Um, gift card, somebody bought you a $20 gift card and you go down to the store, the clothing store, and you're like, what can I buy for 20 bucks? Not much these days. But you find a shirt that's on sale for 20 bucks, you go up to the counter, and the moment you walk up to the counter, who does the gift card belong to? Me. Who does the shirt belong to? The store. So the young lady behind the cash register, you walk up to her and you say, I want to redeem this gift card. You set it down on the counter, and you slide the gift card over to her. Who does it now belong to? Her. She slides the shirt over to you. Who does it now belong to? You walk out with her owning the gift card and you owning the shirt. That's salvation. You walk up to God and you say, I'm going to slide across to you every ugly, dirty, sinful thing I've ever done. And he says, I accept it. And he slides back across to you. I'm going to give you my holiness, my righteousness, my purity. I have a really hard time imagining that that kind of miracle can be undone. Because it's not just about my choice. We made an exchange. He took all of my guilt and my sin forever. And he put righteousness and holiness on me. You might ask the question, what about the people who walk away from Jesus? 
I don't know for sure. Um, honestly, I don't know that I can explain every case on that, but I know this. A fee, uh, a Psalm 89, verse 30 through 34, is incredibly powerful, and it paints an amazing picture. I want you to just look at it with me. If his sons, and his sons means um, the sons of King David, um, but also his descendants, and by proxy us that have chosen to follow, we're all adopted in. If his sons forsake my law and do not follow my statutes, if they violate my decrees and fail to keep my commands, I will punish their sin with the rod. But I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant. Uh, this is very, very real to me. I came into, um, Shannon and I, this coming August, will have been married 33 years. <clears throat> um, I came into marriage with a lot of brokenness. And um, I came in with some secrets. And a few years into our marriage, um, I made a bunch of really bad decisions that were very, very hurtful to her. Um, I betrayed her in a lot of different ways, and um, she had every right to end the marriage and walk away. And most wives probably would have done that. Um, but my precious, adorable, wonderful, incredible wife looked at me and said, not because I feel it right now, but because I am in covenant, I will choose to stay and love you. All of my life, I will love you the way Christ loves the church with an unending covenant love. It was the first time in my life that someone knew the ugliest parts of me and still chose to love me. It changed me forever. That was over 20 years ago and it changed me. I realized maybe that's how God feels about me too. He can know the very worst stuff about me and still love me consistently all of my life. I want you to hear today the message in Ephesians is not just predestination versus free will or can you lose your salvation, although those things are important for us to think about. The message is this. God says, I chose you and I will never leave you. I will love you. I will love you no matter what. This morning, I don't know how many people, but I know there's some people sitting here that need to hear that message. Maybe you say, I've never had a relationship with God like that. Hey, if that's you, in a moment, we're gonna have some prayer people down here on the front. Come down, talk to one of them. We would love to tell you how you can start a relationship with a God that will love you forever. He will make that exchange with you. Probably most of us here, we just got up this morning doing the best we can. The kids are screaming, we gotta get breakfast. We feel lucky that we even made it to church fully clothed. Let me tell you something. 
God knew you were gonna be here and he's been planning it a long time. And he wants to say to you, I love you, I choose you, I see you, I hear you, I care about you, and I will never stop. That is the message of Ephesians. This morning, your call is to receive that new and fresh again. So in a moment, when the prayer team comes down, whatever that means for you, maybe in your seat right there, maybe you need to come down and pray with someone, but I want you to reconnect with the God of the universe that loves you. Stand with me, please. God, you are good and your love is perfect. And this morning, we, uh, we wanna receive Just receive your love again. We want to know and be loved by you. Prayer team's gonna come down front. If you need to come and pray with somebody, talk to somebody, feel free to do that. If you wanna stay in your seat, just connect with God. And you might say, God, I I wanna expose the worst stuff about me and I wanna remember again that I made that trade with you and that you gave me holiness and righteousness because you love me and you will never leave me. So respond to God however he's calling you to respond right now. In the name of Jesus.